You're listening to the Classic Gamers Guild Podcast. This makes my nipples hard. Welcome to the Classic Gamers Guild podcast. Our guest today that I'm super excited about is Dave Gilbert, an influential figure in all sides of modern adventure game development. From his early work on the Reality on the Norm series to creating the acclaimed Blackwell series and founding Wajadike Games, Dave has been active in the indie adventure game scene, guys, for over two years decades. Sorry, I didn't mean to age it there. But he is currently working on a game called Old Skies. And I'm assuming it's going to collapse into dust. (laughs) (laughs) This is probably taking up a lot of your time now. So hey, hey, Dave, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for that wonderful intro. Uh, I just realized I'm like, it hasn't been 20 years. But if you count all the freeware stuff, Mm -hmm. it's been about 23 years. So yeah, Mm -hmm. it's been a while. Wow! I'm glad we went with uh, with Anna's with Anna's intro. My my intro was a lot shorter. I was just going to say, ladies and gentlemen, the the Jewish Ron Gilbert. How are we doing today? The Jewish Ron Gilbert. Yeah, (laughs) that's me. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) we got to use both now. That's perfect. I'm happy with that. And and, you know, the first thing I have to ask you, and I'm always super curious about this question, and I imagine that our listeners are too, is why? I mean, like, when is it that you sat down at a computer game and there's an adventure game on the screen? What was that first computer game and 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 was that the game that made you want to do something like this or give me like an early progression like were you okay well i asked my my um first like adventure game i guess was um infocom's wishbringer uh this this dates me i had an apple ii growing up and so uh text adventures were um you know my, my my vice of choice and um I, I, lo- I loved the Wishbringer game. I'm the, not the, the Infocom games. I just adored mm-hmm. them. And um, I back then, I the only programming I knew was Basic, and I actually would design little text adventures in Basic. Just I did a Star Trek game like every other nerd uh, in the in the late '80s. But I I did one of those just for fun. Um, and I, I played. Um, uh, I borrowed a copy of uh, King's Quest from a friend. I must have been. I was really young. I mean, it was the it was the late '80s, so I I was young. But I remember walking. It was King's Quest One, the first one, and I was. I remember walking him around, and on a whim, typing the word jump, and he jumped, <laughs> and it blew my freaking mind. I. Don't know why, and I think I've been I've been chasing that high ever since. <laughs> I'm like I want another feeling like that. Um, and then like you know time went on, and I played I played more of them, and um, and flash forward many years later, uh, I was unemployed and kind of and I lived in New York. I still live in New York, but uh, it was September. It was 2001. Uh-oh. We all know what happened. Uh, and I was kind of looking for something to keep my mind off stuff. And I discovered AGS. And um, I just made a little game uh, which starred – where you played the Grim Reaper, which says a lot about my <laughs> state of mind at the time. But uh, I people seemed to like it, and I started to make more. Uh, and then, I guess, five years later – I decided I didn't want to do anything else, and so I decided to start selling them. And mm-hmm. 17 years later, I'm still doing that. 
Oh, and it's what we needed. That was that was the dead time, right? That was the time where I'd go into EB Games or any of those with my dad. And if there was any adventure games, they were on a clearance rack at the back mm-hmm. of the store. And then it was like, I was like, all these games where everybody's shooting everybody. And I said, well, where's the girl games? At the time, that's Aww. what I called it to my dad. I mean, he played them too, but I'm like, where's the games that I want to play? So I went and I ended up going back and playing old back catalog games. Because as you know, there's no way that we played every single one of the adventure game that was released before the year 2000 so the best place i remember was kb toys yeah they had the used um game bin and it was like half of them were like in envelopes you know they didn't even have boxes anymore but i got because i I got an actual windows um pc late and so i i was able to get a lot of those really cheaply because um i just wanted to kb and i would get like you know sierra games for like two or three bucks it was amazing oh my gosh that's beautiful we had a used didn't have a box or a manual but i I, it it was fine (laughs) you'd get a slash release but you're okay with it (laughs) yeah i didn't care Sticking with your childhood, what were some of your favorite, like, like classic, you know, Lucas, Sierra games growing up that, that really, like, you think possibly, sh- you know, shaped who you'd become as, like, a storyteller? Hmm. Well, like I said, mostly um, I had an Apple II growing up. Uh, so most of it, like I said, was Infocom. And they lived in, and died by uh, their characters most of the time. And mm-hmm. I, I, or just the, 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 it's funny, I replay some of them, and it just kind of amazes me how how sparse a lot of the descriptions were. Well, in my head, it was just this immense, like, right. wonderful, descriptive world. But they were really good at just, um, just creating a sense of place. And mm-hmm. just, I don't know, I would just go to bed just dreaming about them and, and that kind of thing. Um, but I think mostly when I sit down to write something, I'm influenced more by books and uh, movies and things like that not necessarily other games because uh i don't know i, I just i'm just not because i just feel like i'm if i'm copying a, a, a game's mechanic i feel like i'm copying them right. but if i'm mostly i'm focused on like stories and characters and things so i tend to be influenced elsewhere Right, right. That makes sense. We had an episode recently. We were kind of discussing like the the plots of adventure games, and I think our our basic conclusion was that there's a surprising lack of story in in a lot of the classic games, considering it's like a narrative genre. Like the, the well, a lot of the classics, especially the Sierra stuff. Once you know how to get through it, it takes no time. Right. Like right. a lot of the time, what what increased the gameplay was the challenge of the puzzles. But once you know those, it's like King's Quest Three takes could take a half hour tops to play um even <laughs> yep. once you know you know all the solutions like even now i, I replayed it um I, there was a there was that 3d remake i i, I forget who it was by i know trolls uh, trolls plumber was involved but um i replayed it and i was amazed i'm like oh wow like this took no time to to complete because i still remember the puzzle solutions all this all these years later right um, okay, so you bring up puzzles, and and one thing that that we have in common, I guess the three of us really is is feeling that that puzzles their their place in adventure games just maybe changed over time, and to the point where well, just getting right to it, I had heard you say in an interview recently, I don't know how old the interview was, but I, I watched it the other day. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> you're basically just saying that you're not a big fan of puzzles, and and I'm not either, and and it's I'd rather put the story above 
above the puzzles and, and I kind of had yeah. this sneaking suspicion that that's, that's kind of what the players want too. Like you do get, you get kind of like cool points, um, for what it's worth on like socials being like, Oh yeah. You know, I, 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 something, um, intellectual about uh, sounding about saying that, that you enjoy a puzzle laden game. But I think we, all of us are kind of, we're kind of, you know, over it to a degree or just not, you know, we don't want to get stuck well, in puzzles. We have a thousand. It's not, you're not necessarily over it. I think, um, the difference between puzzles now and puzzles back in the day was that um, Google exists. Mm. And <laughs> I remember when I first played King's Quest Three, and I spent weeks or maybe a month, maybe even longer, I spent forever trying to figure out how to defeat that stupid wizard. <laughs> and I mean, I was happy to do it and I tried everything. And finally, one day something clicked and uh, I figured out the solution. And it was like this am amazing, satisfying feeling. But this was before Google. Uh, and mm -hmm. back then, especially if you're a kid, um, the only your only recourse is to b beg your parents to for their credit cards so you can order the hint book. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, or get in trouble by calling the 900 number. Um, you got to be really, really desperate to resort to that. Uh, but now, if I was faced with a, a similar puzzle in the game, I would last maybe five minutes. Um, you could call it shorter attention span, but that's just what would happen. Yeah. Like the the back then, those options weren't available, so you spent a lot of time trying to figure this stuff out. Um, but now you're only stuck if you really want to be. So I don't. Th I just don't think it's particularly fun. And usually, if I'm stuck in a puzzle and I, I do break down and Google the answer, I find myself frustrated. Either it's like an oh, I should have thought of that. Why did? And I, mm -hmm. I, I hate myself for giving in. Or I think, or oh, like that was. There's no way I could have figured that out. What a stupid game. Or, or whatever. Or it's like the. <laughs> You know the the story is progressing at a nice clip, and things are exciting. And then they throw this obstacle, this puzzle at you, and it just drags it to a dead halt. You know that kind mm -hmm. of thing. I, I don't think it's particularly fun, and mm -hmm. I think what a lot of more modern developers they they understand this, and so not that you can't have challenges or, or puzzle type things in the game, but they're considered more obstacles, and the the emphasis has been or the focus has kind of changed to making the actual act of solving the challenge, making that fun and responsive and interesting and that kind of thing. And I think that's, that's the main difference is because, you know, if you, if, if someone gets frustrated, they'll leave your game and go to Google to solve the, to find the solution. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, like if you have to leave my game to enjoy it, I failed. Mm. Right, and so uh, I, I don't focus as much on puzzles. I focus on on everything else. Right. Well, one one thing I've noticed that that, that you do extremely well. The Wajedai does extremely well across the board. Whether it's you know one of your personal games or a published one is is everything to do with environments and atmosphere and the storytelling. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I feel like it. I could almost summarize it that the puzzles that you tend to go with um, are more there to like serve the story. Um, so mm -hmm. it does it doesn't feel. And, and I, this is, I guess, ideally as well, speaking in it for, for any modern adventure game, but it, it shouldn't really feel like s stop the story and start the puzzle. It more feels mm -hmm. like a natural part of the environment. Or, or maybe you could even say like environmental puzzles in a sense where it just blends more, in with the game. I, I use the word organic. <laughs> right, <laughs> like they, right. They fit naturally 
Like right. they're they just are there. Like what would be a natural obstacle for this for this situation? Um, and sometimes, like I will just if it, if that if it doesn't seem organic or if people are frustrated by it, I'll just remove it. I, I don't want to mm-hmm. get in the way of you enjoying my game um, mm-hmm. because I I had I want to say enjoying my story mm. because it is at the end of the day, an adventure game is a way of telling a story in the same way that a book or a movie or a television show or play or anything is. It's just got that interactive element that you can't get from those other things. So as long as that is in place, uh, I think as long as you're, you're, you've got that interactivity and responsiveness, and that's what makes you know, the, the medium of a game uh, work so well in terms of telling a story, as long as you have that, I think then then you're doing your job okay. Right, right. So would you say like so it's, it's like you're designing a, a I don't know, so you're working on, on a room and it's like you're not going to you're not going to lock the door on the player just to lock the door just to cause, you know, cause an effect of where they have to unlock it. Um, but but I guess the same could be said in the opposite where if, if you are designing a room or you even looking at some art for a room or a piece of the story or or anything in in kind of uh, segregating it and just inspecting it. If you if you find something that's like, hey, this would actually be, this is kind of like a natural problem that just happened to occur, and instead of like fixing it in the story, I could have the player deal with it as a puzzle. So. Uh, to a degree, I mean, I do think that puzzles can often be used um, to like speed or slow things down. Um, there's a moment in Unavowed that I always use as an example. Um, it's towards the beginning, so it's not really a spoiler, mm-hmm. where you go into a basement. And uh, the basement is is half forest. And when I first designed this room, you know, the characters walk in. They're like, "Oh my god, it's half forest!" But by the time the characters walk in and react, the player has already seen it for five seconds. Mm-hmm. So it's like you already know it's half forest. You've already processed that. That processed that like a long before the characters do. And so I wanted mm-hmm. to kind of delay that discovery. So I turned the lights off. And there's like, you know, I think there's like a a, um, a broken fuse that you have to repair. It's a very simple puzzle. It's like in another room, there's a there's a fuse that you just replace it in the fuse box. And then you turn the lights on. And then you and the characters can react at the same time to right. the mysterious thing that's in the in the basement. And I think that way is like that that sense of immersion isn't lost. And mm-hmm. like that is something that games can do really well. You know, that that whole immersion factor yeah and i can say with absolute sincerity i remember that puzzle so that's the best the the best compliment i could really pay it at this point right because it's been a few years and i played quite a few games and developed in my own and i i do actually remember that puzzle in that moment so it's that's that's in that pocket that's like exactly in the flow okay great um, but yeah, and it's, it's good. It's, I wasn't. I wasn't totally talking out of my butt there. Right, exactly. Awesome. No, no, it's a real thing. <laughs> and it's, it's the ideal thing. too. It's like because you you feel this is this is what I would do if I was there. You know, I would I would try and find something to get the fuse by. Like it just all fits completely naturally. And yeah, I really like that. Okay, so I have, I have a question for you too that just popped in my head regarding artwork because I'm this is this isn't like a stage question. I'm actually just. You know, borderline panicking because I don't remember um, and I'm interviewing you and I should have, I should know this, but that being okay. said, um, we're, I, I know obviously we're close to Ben Chandler and one of my favorite things about all of your works is, is the environments and just the moody dripping atmosphere and, and everything like that. Um, but I'm wondering where you are. Did you do the art for Shiva and, and where? No. No. Okay. So you, you haven't really done, I guess maybe I should I should back it up for people listening and just say what what is your role in not your published games but your personal games? 
I'm do the writing. Okay. I create all the scenarios, design, you know, all the writing, and I do all the programming. I do all the voiceover casting and directing, um, and of course, all of the you know, QA, sales, marketing, basically everything, but the art and the music. Right. Uh, so yeah, the, I basically do most everything. Okay. And that's one of my favorite things about your games is the one when I, there's a commentary and and not only is it yeah. just you in various digitized forms telling me about the game as I play, but sometimes you've actually brought in the voice actors that have pl that have played roles in the games, and I get to kind of hear it from their perspective and how you work together with them, and it, it is so fascinating. The hardest part about playing your games is waiting till I've played them once so that I can turn the commentary <laughs> on because I people love tell it me I so shouldn't much. put spoilers in the commentary. <laughs> I'm like, why are you listening to the commentary while, like, before you play the game? It's like turning on the DVD, you know, listening to the yeah. director commentary while you watch the movie for the first time. You just wouldn't do it. But I, I do get it because games can take a very, very long time to play. So mm -hmm. it's like, do you want to go, you know, could be, could take up to 10 hours to play mm -hmm. a typical adventure game. And that's, that's a lot of time. So I do get it. But, you know, I, I don't want to limit myself to what I can talk about. So mm -hmm. I just no. always put a spoiler warning there. But thank you. I enjoy doing the commentary because um, when I first started uh, selling my games, coming from a freeware background, I was trying to think of what could give it. Because my, my, the Shiva was originally freeware. And then I decided to start selling it. I mean, the art, I redid, got the art redone. So that was mm -hmm. something that made it a little better. But I was trying to figure out ways to give it more value. Um, because I was sort of feeling a bit of guilt because I had been doing them for free for so long uh, or, or giving them away for free for so long. I felt bad about selling them. Mm -hmm. So I, um, I did got the voice acting in and I decided, oh, commentary, like maybe people will like that. And, uh, and they, and they did. So I get mm -hmm. to kind of indulge and talk about myself and indulge in just total narcissism for several hours <laughs> while I play and people seem to enjoy it. So it's, it's win-win as far as I'm concerned. Can I, can I selfishly ask you, cause I'm, I'm in development right now of a game. I'm, I'm just past the three year point. Um, I am doing the, the art and the, the music myself as well. So that's why it's taken so long. Um, mm -hmm. but I'm wondering, like, I, I love so much the, the, um, the commentary that you do, and I really want to do it. I've already decided there's absolutely no way I can do it before I release the game. Like it would have to be like an update, um, sort of sort of feature if if I'm gonna like ever release the game. But but that being said, like what is how basically how do you? This is a fancy way of saying how how do you do that, man? Like how do you? Um... I mean, pretty much. I mean, if you're, I test the game constantly, and so sometimes I'll just. Uh, as I'm testing it, I just have my microphone all ready to go. When I come to a moment, something strikes me, I'll just hit record, um, oh. and I'll just start babbling away. And uh, and then later, you know, when, after I'm done testing, I'll just go and splice out the bits that uh, I feel work. I edit myself a little bit so I sound a little smarter and <laughs> <laughs> remove all my ums and ahs and stammers and things. Uh, and I just stick it into the game. Um, so, yeah, that's what I do. Also, I, I, you know, I, I do it like it's not just I do it in one go. It's like over over, over several playthroughs, I do commentary. And every time I play through it, I think of something else. Uh, so, you know, yeah, I, I get it. It's... Um, it can take a long time if you're if you're just trying to do it all at once. But I kind of do it gradually for that reason, so it's not so overwhelming. 
Cool. Now I'm glad I asked because I, I was I, I was imagining the opposite in a sense. I was like, well, maybe you just clear an afternoon and just you know, but that could be kind of sloggy. It would take longer because you have to. I guess unless you just you play. Well, I guess one way you can do it is I know this is what others do is as they play through it, they have like a notebook or they have a you know a document open where they just type. Oh, like here are the here are the things I'm going to talk about, and then they a lot of people they a lot of the folks I've worked with they actually write out their commentary first Yikes. and then mm -hmm. read it. That's not me. <laughs> no, I'll, I just I'll just speak off the cuff. Like I that's why people say why well, why don't you like type out what you're you know uh, have have subtitles of the commentary. I'm like it's just it's impossible. It's just me stream of consciousness blathering for an hour. Like that would take forever. So right. I don't do it. So something that, that I feel I, I feel I have in relation with you, but I'm not sure is is like I, I tend to go. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you can confirm for me. I feel like like mm -hmm. I go off of feel very much. So like it's more of like a kind of flowy mindset where it's like, okay, here here be a way to frame it as a question. So. Um, if, if I'm if I'm writing dialogue, I, it's I need to get like into the room and into the scene and do it on kind of on the spot, not in like an ablib sense, obviously, but more on the hmm. spot as opposed to I you know have a document with the dialogue in it that I've prepared the night before and then I sit down and it's it's none of that. It's more just like really going off of of feel and and I I hope that that allows for a level of. Uh, I hope that uh, that gives room for organic things to happen. Would you say well, it's. I would say that there's no right or wrong way. If it works, mm -hmm. then do it. I know a lot of folks have like design documents and they outlines and they plan everything in advance. They have, you know, um, puzzle dependency charts and things like that. Right. Uh, I don't do any of that. And Phew. I mean, I have, yeah, I'll have like no a doubt. vague outline sometimes. Old Skies mm -hmm. is an is an uh, exception because. It's time travel. It requires a bit more tight plotting than mm -hmm. most of my stuff. Uh, like for Unavowed, for example, or even um, Blackwell, I'll kind of maybe have a, a vague idea of what happened, and then a lot of a lot of the game is about kind of working your way into discovering how it happened. Mm -hmm. So it's like I know what happened. So here's this environment, and here's like various things that showed the aftermath of the thing that happened. How do you go about discovering it? And then I kind of figure that out as I go. And Unavowed was especially challenging because I had to do it, you know, five different ways depending on the party combinations. But with old skies, it's it's time travel because I realize, oh, like instead of just discovering what happened three months ago, you can literally go back in time three months and see it yourself. <laughs> right. And like if it if you're not and I, I realize that that's more satisfying. I wanna use the gimmick. So right. it's uh so I, I tend to um focus more on on that kind of stuff like how can i how how would if you had access to time to time travel how would you solve this challenge or solve this mystery or, or something like that like within some like i have some guardrails and restrictions on how time travel works otherwise you just go completely crazy too much chaos. Uh, with all the possibilities just yeah. there's a reason why the best time travel stories have ex extreme limits like have definite limits on them Right, because the, po the possibilities are just you know it's it's a get out of you know any problem free card. You can go back in time and redo it or whatever. Like or like, there's a reason why Back to the Future only takes place in Hill Valley. It never mm -hmm. goes beyond Hill Valley, mm -hmm. and it never really expands beyond like Marty's family. It never mm -hmm. goes beyond that because it, it just story wise it limits itself to this and never never goes anywhere else because otherwise it would just they would just go crazy with all the possibilities right. and old skies. I had to do something very similar. 
Right, too much to manage or too much chaos. That's that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. that is cathartic to hear as well because I feel like I, I, I uh, it's very easy for me to, to to operate in within chaos. Let's say so. It's I'm always trying to bring order to myself to to you know kind of uh, like past me looking out for future me in a sense. Like um, and and back to what you said about the, the puzzle dependency charts. That's that's straight relieving to to hear because I I tried. <laughs> I tried to be that person in the beginning. I'm like, well, this is, I think this is what people say that you should do, let's say. And so I, mm-hmm. I downloaded like the mind map apps and stuff like that. And I was just, you know, sat down with all these little bubbles. I'm like, this is, this is how people make these games and this is how I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And just not, nah, not at all. I did not. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes it can work if you're, if you're having trouble laying it all out just to see the shape of it can help. But usually I, I'm never like, Often you'll hear, oh, it needs to be this specific kind of shape. You know, it needs mm. to be, you know, it needs to branch in two different directions. It needs to be relatively, you know, they, they there's all these rules about it. And I've never, I've never followed them uh, just because I find it, I don't know. I get, maybe, maybe it does need to be a certain way, but I find with adventure games, there's no, like, no two people are going to get through it in, at the same pace. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it matters if, like, you know, there's this one branch of this dependency chart that you can zip through, but you might be stuck for days on the other one or stuck for hours or whatever. So I don't know. It's I've, whatever, whatever works, whatever gets it done. Games are impossible. Games are impossible. <laughs> like, I, I just feel like whatever – like, the fact that any game ever gets made is a freaking miracle. Right. Whatever gets it – if getting it done – is just a is amazing just in and of itself. Yeah, <laughs> so whatever gets that, whatever gets you there. All right, let me let me move on to another subject. I wanted to just just kind of loosely chat with you about, it, as opposed to like you know uh, hit you with questions under a heat lamp sort of thing. But it's it's the something I've been kind of wrestling with, and I think we have on the show for mm-hmm. possibly years, um, which is the matter of uh, the best I could frame it is is consequence and comfort, where there's oh. there's this. Uh, Let's see. Let me try and be somewhat coherent for you. Um, <laughs> some, something I like to do for our guests, <laughs> you know. Occasionally. Yeah, sense is sense is hard to make. Um, so the kind of more the old approach, I guess you could say, of making games. But then again, that might exclude LucasArts. But then again, that's me being confusing. So let me just go ahead and start over one more time, which is not in a I'm editing this way, but just in a you know coherency mm-hmm. way. Um, mm-hmm. the, the more old old school approach to, to games was using consequence, such as like deaths i don't mean like walking deads or, or just bad design but um the, the the fact of the matter is there used to be deaths in games and there basically there isn't anymore and if there is there might be like an auto save or something like that um i was mm-hmm. kind of looking at consequences versus comfort and com- to me it's almost it's almost a way of saying sierra and lucasarts because sierra was very heavy on the deaths and the consequence and obviously the po- the positive to consequences you know is kind of those dopamine hits you know you put in the work and you fail and you fail and you fail and then you succeed and it feels amazing um but then there's comfort, which is kind of, it seems like comfort's kind of, let's say, won the day as far as adve- where adventure games have gone. They've gone more into the, the route of, of comfort, um, where it's, you know, you get kind of more of a cozy narrative sort of feeling where you get to just walk through a story and experience the atmosphere. And both of these obviously have pros and cons. And I think, I, I suppose the con for comfort would be that you have to create your own stakes or to create the almost illusion of stakes, um, especially mm-hmm. with adventure games where there's likely to only be one, but maybe, maybe four outcomes for the same thing, like at a, a kind of at a stretch or an extreme example. Um, so I'm just wondering wh- where you, how you feel about 
consequence and comfort in your own game making? Like, um, have you ever like, what do you think about deaths and have you considered putting them in? What, what's kept you from doing them? What do you see as, I mean, I have put deaths in my games. I think like it, it works. I think like when people say, Oh yeah, you know, they don't, um, it's passe to not die in a game or an adventure game. I think the issue is so much dying in the game. The problem with like the early Sierra deaths, especially was just, they were terribly unfair. Right. Mm -hmm. And you'd yeah. walk into a room and like some, you know, wiz like wizard would appear, zap you. And mm -hmm. I'm not even talking about King's quest three. Cause th that element, mm -hmm. I think that that element of danger has to be there. King's quest mm -hmm. three, that element of danger needs to be there. And it's telegraphed pretty well that if you break the rules and he finds you, he is going to kill you. Right. And I think mm -hmm. if, if there's no consequence, if that doesn't happen, then that, that sense of tension is just completely lost. Right. Um, so it, it, so you, that, that does need to be there. But we are just wandering around the countryside and, you know, there's just some random like monster that will just kill you out of nowhere. That is unfair. Yeah. And I think that often gets misconstrued as like no deaths at all. Right. Like in Indi right. the Indiana Jones games, uh, he can die. Yeah. But again, yeah. like it's Indiana Jones. There has to be an element of peril. Yeah. Without that, you're not playing Indiana Jones. So I have I have no problem with deaths in games. I think as long as there's, you know, at least an autosave or or something where like losing progress sucks. Yeah. Um, especially in a game like that where it is heavily story based. Play, like losing a bit of pro um, progress in an action game or a platformer, it's like at least you're still like doing something. You know, you're yeah. you're getting better at it each time you do it. With an adventure game, there's no such thing. Like it's not really a skill you get better at. We do right. the same section of adventure game. It's not you don't get better at you know <laughs> clicking the right option. You already know what to do, and so uh, I don't think it's fair to make someone replay all of that. Um, mm -hmm. That's why you, you sometimes hear that. Oh, yeah, the puzzles get harder as as the game goes along. Right. Uh, but they, again, like adventure game puzzles are not really. It's not really a skill you figure out. It's just mm -hmm. uh, can you? It's like can you parse out all the clues and, and just figure out the solution? Um, but every puzzle is different. So I don't. It's not really a skill you get better at. Anyway, that that's a whole other. That's a whole other thing. But for me, I know that in Unavowed, there were you could die a few times. Again, mm -hmm. it would just automatically reload. Old skies, there's a lot of death right. um, mm -hmm. because I've what I what I've decided to do was a um, you know because time travel use the gimmick um, where the main character Fia can die, but she gets rewound. Right. Like so, mm -hmm. you know, the, her her handler in the future presses a button, and she gets rewound by like five minutes or so, ten minutes or so, with all the memories of everything that happened. So I can indulge in a little bit of um, kind of adventure game moon logic, because mm -hmm. you are because a lot of the issues with moon logic is that you would never expect something to happen, um, mm -hmm. but with with this, it's like okay, there, there's a puzzle, for example, there's a shootout in a bar, a guy, you know will shoot you. Um, but before he arrives, you know exactly where he's going to stand. Hmm. So you, you get a, a billiard ball, put it there, and he trips and falls. That kind of mm -hmm. thing. So that's a little, like, there's no way you would know that otherwise. <laughs> so, but because with the rewinding, you already know where he's going to stop walking. You know where he's going to walk so you can trip him up. Um, I find that very fun. Uh, so in that respect, like, death is necessary. 
which mm-hmm. means that there's there's a she dies a lot in nice. many different ways. <laughs> but it's so funny once you allow yourself to do that, you just mm-hmm. indulge. It's like okay, it's this favorite. random guy will throw a cleaver through your head. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> there's no consequence. Just <laughs> you annoy this guy with a cleaver and he kills you with it. Okay, here we go. <laughs> so it's you gotta yeah. I kind of. Um, Get a little, get a little self-indulgent with that. I love, I love what it's like a, a utter psychopath. This conversation is making me sound like because I'm in the background. Yeah. Like, yes, good. Yes, more. Death. No, no, no. It's funny because like the first time I had Ben draw some, uh, animate some really violent things, he took it up. He took it up and beyond. Uh, there was a scene in Unavowed where I yeah, said, ben. "Okay, you know, you, you stab this guy with a pair of scissors." Ben is like, "Okay." He sends me the animation. He gets stabbed in the eye with a pair of scissors. I'm like, <laughs> "Okay." That's, that's, this is what we're doing. Okay. That was all Ben. <laughs> you doing all right over there, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> he'll just, he'll just indulge. He's just like, how, how can we make this better? And, you know, frankly, how dare he, but. Well, that's good news for us. Cause there's, well, for you, there's deaths in the game. So, you know, we've, we've kept up with that tradition. You know, there's, there's that sense of, there's the sense of safety from not losing everything you've done with the autosave, but that oh, I yeah. really like the way that you phrase that Dave, actually. Yeah. Well, you, cause you basically, it, uh, you can handle the moon logic by, or, or basically it's, it's not moon logic because it's baked into the, to the plot, into the mechanics of the story and of the lore. Yeah. So it's like premeditated. So therefore, it can't be moon logic because it's baked. Like, and I love the idea of the handler. So it, it just it handles everything very neatly in a very, let's say, reasonable or logical way. To where you know, as as a player, you can remain immersed because you can easily accept that. That's really cool. Yeah, I, I I like it, and also it kind of gives gives the the main character a very <laughs> lackadaisical attitude towards dying, which I right. find, that could be funny. which is never which is never not fun to write. Right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I agree with what you said about the the auto saves as well. Like when I when I first started development, I was like, I'm gonna my day's broken into into day or sorry, my game is broken into days like many games for Gabriel Knight for a quick example. And I was like, I'll do one death a day. And, and, and I had this, I don't know, I was being kind of like grumpy and old fashioned back in my day, a death was a death. And, and so I was like, they're going to, you know, they're going to have to save. And I eventually, I changed my mind on that. I'm like, I'm going to auto save it because you, you articulated my own thoughts to me better than I ever had before a minute ago. When you, okay. you when you, <laughs> but you, you basically equated it almost to, to, um, well, to the story aspect of it. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. having to re go through the story, you, you just, you lose immersion with the story. You arguably lose interest in the story because you have to hear another, I don't know, 10 to 30 minutes of the story all over again. And, interest wanes and things like that so so the the uh the autosave really comes in in handy there so i guess what i'm wondering now is what about when there isn't deaths and and would you how do you handle the 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 feeling of stakes you know like i i I think it's important in games to i don't know almost feel like like you should pause it before you walk away like even though we know nothing's going to happen like like there's something there's something to be said about like you know the feeling that that if you leave your character there all alone while you go to the bathroom something might happen like when you remove mm. any any sort of sense of stakes or that things could go wrong um i'm not saying it it's uh, immediately is a bad thing but you do lose you know an an air of whether it's mystery or or excitement i'm not sure but basically i guess to shorten this up how do you handle stakes when there's not a death well, I mean, it's there's different kinds of stakes. There's emotional stakes. There's personal stakes. There's, mm. you know, death of somebody else. Mm. There's someone else getting in trouble. You know, or there's tons of ways. I mean, any, you know, you watch you watch like a rom com. It's like 
no one dies. <laughs> it's like the fact that, but at the same time, it's like you, you get invested in, in, in this story and in investment. Romance, nice. Yeah. It's, that's what it is. It's like you, 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 if someone, if you spend any time with a, a like a book or a story or even a television show, you know, it's like you, you put a personal investment in something, you, you kind of, you do want something back, or at least you're hoping that you're going to get something back. Yeah. And you have some, when you have something invested, it's like you stick with it. Um, unless uh, until that you reach that point where you don't think it's worth the investment anymore. Uh, so that's the so um, case with anything. It's just like you, um, at, at some point you, you, at some point as you're creating something, um, you just sort of have to, um, you want to make that investment worthwhile. And at some point you just have to either you say to yourself, okay, either the audience is invested at this point or they're not, Right. you know, if they're not, I've done my job badly. It's, it's too late by this point. Like if it's, you're at the three quarter mark, you're heading toward the climax and you're still like explaining things and trying to get the audience on board. It's too late by then. You know, if like at that point they're either on board or they're not. And I call that the having your dinner moment. Have you okay. guys ever heard this? No. No. Ah, I've been I've been using this phrase at every talk I ever go to, and no one is, it is yet to catch on. <laughs> it is a reference. It is a reference. Have you guys watched Breaking Bad? Yes. No. I have. Okay. Well, no. it is a reference in the, in the final season. There's this dinner between mm-hmm. the th- three of the main characters, Walter, Skyler, and Jesse, and they are talking, and it's the most awkward conversation, mm-hmm. and everything they say is you know has so much has five seasons worth of subtext (laughs) and if you watch that scene cold you will have no idea what's going on Mm -hmm. but the writer you know um vince gilligan he he wrote the scene you know just uh, just accept like he kind of had the um had the whatchamacallit the confidence to realize that okay the audience is on board at this point like Mm -hmm. if they're not on board here they're not on board by this point they're not going to be Mm -hmm. so i am now going to make that pay off and right. he did, you know, that, that was written for the people who had stuck with the show for five seasons and mm-hmm. you reach that point, you know, that's when you get to like have fun with it and have it pay off. I call it having your dinner as a reference to that scene. Uh, that term is yet to catch on one, <laughs> one day it will. I've been, I've been using it for almost like almost a decade now. We'll one have day, to start hashtagging it all the yes, time on uh, having Twitter your and stuff for um, you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you leave it too late. It starts to feel padded. You leave it, you, you start too early. It doesn't feel earned. So that, that's how mm. I feel about it. So that, and that's just it. Like at one point, at some point you just have to say to yourself, either the audience is on board or they're not. And I just right. have to believe that they are. Right. Oh, that's so brilliant. That is so good. That really, really helps <laughs> wow. me. It, it, it lends me closure in a sense too, because I feel like mm-hmm. I've been, I've been missing a way of, 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 again, articulating these thoughts to myself where it's like I, I never um, – I, w- I wasn't, let's say, disinterested in what happened to Guybrush just because he couldn't die. I still very much cared when, it, when, when I eventually got around to, to playing that game. And, and so it, it's – and it's a way I should have worded it to you, but you, you took care of nicely without me, was, was using the, <laughs> uh, the, the term payoff, you know, where it's like mm-hmm. the, uh, stakes, you know, usually – um, as I kind of alluded to earlier with consequence where it's like, you know, you, you have those, Oh shit moments until it finally clicks. And then it's like, yes, I did it finally. And then you get the payoff. And well, Guybrush is interesting, especially, um, the first two monkey islands. And, uh, and this is actually, uh, 
a theory, not really a theory, but like a Richard uh, Richard Cobbett wrote this wonderful article on his now defunct blog, uh, somewhere on the web archive. But I remember it um, where he talked about the comedy of Monkey Island and how um, as ridiculous as it can get sometimes, the characters always take it deadly seriously. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, yeah, when Guybrush is in peril, yeah, we know he's going to be okay, but Guybrush doesn't. Like that last right. scene of Monkey mm-hmm. Island too, he's scared, you know, in pain. You know, he's really scared. Right. And I think for all for all its sins, and a lot of people don't like the the Telltale Monkey Island. I personally love it because mm-hmm. um, it gave like real stakes. Right. He goes through mm-hmm. some dark stuff. It's still funny, but like he takes it deadly seriously and like towards the end you know he's like batten like battered beaten and bruised and you know struggling and he can't even like muster up the energy to like make a joke and it's like it's it's actually takes it so deadly seriously that even though it's comedy and there's no you know he's not gonna die that kind of thing or at least not die permanently you still buy into it so you you basically connected so many dots for me when you said um Mm -hmm. The, the investment in the character and that, that's exactly what it is if you care enough about the character then then there is your stakes you want to see them to the finish line safely or you want to get them mm-hmm. through their story um and and so ah that's that is so good that's really quite sometimes it's, it's really hard to have the distance yourself um to know that you've done your job of of audience investment of creating that investment and at some point you just have to say all right i gotta have faith at this point and all then, in and then, yeah, yeah. Well, I've heard you say too, you, in in previous interviews, that you really have to be emotionally invested in your own characters and your own. I try life. to be. You have yeah. to feel that connection, but at times you've had to work. Or maybe it wasn't there right away, or maybe it's developed over time. Is that is that something you, you figure it out? Oh, yeah. Also, just for myself, because games could take take so long, right. especially now that I, I've done more of them, and they just take so long that we start. I have to think, okay, is this something I feel good enough about that I can stay with it for several years? And sometimes the answer is like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I like this enough to like mm. have it stay in my head rent-free for several years. Do I like this enough? Because right. inevitably, it's always going to end up, you're always going to end up hating it. So you got to start from a, uh, from a position <laughs> of really, really liking it. Because whatever level, however much you like it, that level of liking it is going to go down. <laughs> Right. So you got to have a nice surplus of love for whatever you're doing, because by the time you're done, it's like that's going to be worn to a nub. Well, is no there a what. difference? You've got love to, for the characters and love for the environment. I mean, you've you've made a few games that are kind of sharing the same universe. Is that kind of mm-hmm. what happens? You're like, I really like this, but I, I, I want to move on to a different subset of characters or maybe they're related in some not not right away knowing way um i think like i kind of like having the same universe i mean blackwell and unavowed the connections are very very uh, are very blatant because yes. it's the same <laughs> type of thing because it's mm-hmm. uh urban fantasy so it was very easy mm-hmm. to make those connections old skies does take place in the same universe cool. and i, I nice. like some of those characters it's nice to be able to like make references to them and it's also mm-hmm. like it, it gives like a you know it's, it's a cool cool thing for the um for the longtime fans. Mm-hmm. And also it, it creates like a nice little shorthand. Like if I, um, you know, I'm, I'm playing, I'm uh, if I, okay. I need a, I need a, a bank. Uh, so, okay. I've mentioned the grant city trust and other games. I'll just use mm-hmm. that again. And it's cool. cre- It gives it a kind of lived in feeling. If you play the other games, it already has like, it carries a little bit more emotional weight. Um, 
because like you've experienced that bank before or if there's a reference like I, I think you go when you go to the 1920s there's this police officer whose name is Santina um, mm. obviously he's, he's a ancestor of Vicky Santina from from unavowed and yeah he's barely there but at the same time just having to be a Santina like does carry a little bit of something it does it, it, it's a it's an easy way of, of giving it a little bit more something uh, at least in my mind and my soul I feel something more for the character mm-hmm. uh, because it has that connection. And I'm able to get that across a little bit more to the player just because I'm feeling something. And I think being able to play in, in like this sort of world that I created, I have love of it because I've, I've mm-hmm. lived there for so long yeah. that I can, I can bring that across to the, the people playing it, even if they've never played the other games before. Like I still love it. Like how, um, you know, uh, I think the, the KK character from Unavowed, mm-hmm. um, they don't even know that she was introduced in the Black Hole series, but they still they still love her. They're like, yeah, there's something about her. I'm like, right. yeah, because I already had a <laughs> I already had a very strong connection to that character even before I started writing her for Unavowed because she was in Blackwell, and I already had all that in my head and in my heart and soul or whatever. And it was very esoteric. I get it, but at the same time, I think that's what helped me, you know, make. Um, the character more than what it was because of that connection in me. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. See, that's great. And I'm, I'm listening to you so much from a, from a position of, 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 you could almost say like a, a, a apprentice, I guess you could say, just, just trying, <laughs> trying, trying, don't to- take everything I say as gospel. Like everyone works differently. <laughs> everyone works differently. Like this is just how I work and how it's worked for me. Well, what's nice about it is a lot of it is really just, just affirmations of how, how I, how I, seem to be doing things as it is, which, you know, again, it's like going off the field, but what I'm hearing from you right now is a lot of um, positive self-bias. Like uh, a good way to tie that in yes. would be like uh, Mel Brooks. He's like, I don't write a line that doesn't make me laugh. And if it made me mm. laugh, then it's good enough to go into my into my films or my scripts. So um, I'm working on a comedy myself. So that's, you know, kind of basically where I'm at. It's like, if, if I laughed, then it's good enough. And let's just pray to God that people, you know, um, agree with me to an extent, I guess, to, to, to mm-hmm. so what you're basically just, just explaining there is like the, you, you can hear it coming through almost subconsciously, like from, from deeper within you of like this, just, um, affection for your, for your characters and for the world that you've created. And, and mm-hmm. so it's like, it, there's, there's something to be said about just the, 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 the level of care that you put into things and, and the, mm-hmm. the faith that the, the player will, in, in some sense, actually kind of notice that care and, and mm-hmm. feel it themselves. And it's, I uh, think, yeah. yeah I, no, I think often it's like you can create like an immense backstory for your world and your characters. You don't need to use all of it. I think right. just knowing right. it's there, just having it in your head and just like it, it, it's, it, it'll come across one way right. or the other. Yes. I, I know there's like a lot of, um, only, God, I think only video games get away with this crap. It's like you, you, you're playing like some epic RPG and you walk up to some random person and they'll like tell you their life story or like the entire story of like their race or their people or where they came from or their home country. And it's like, I just met you, dude. Like you don't have to, <laughs> and none of, and none of it's relevant. Um, <laughs> and absolutely none of it's relevant. Like you don't you just like the fact that they're from this other culture is enough, you know, right. like give, give, like imbue them with a little bit of that. Just to be, just uh, you knowing what all that stuff is enables you to make these characters feel more alive. And I think that, mm. People will fake. Sincerity can't be faked. Right. If you're if you're sincere, people will notice. And if you're not, people will also mm-hmm. notice. 
Right. Like it's it's less about this like exposition dump of lore. Like they just vomit lore all over you, and it's more just these subtle like, hey, I need, I happen to need to mention a bank right now, and I already have a bank. And it's like yeah. it's it's maybe two dozen tiny tiny moments like that throughout a game can mean can mean so much more than than some big exposition. It becomes exposition its dump. own lore in a way. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it was um, like, and I love Dragon Age Inquisition, but that's what I was. Oh my gosh, I just had yeah, Dragon Age in you, my head. I'm like, you know, you I do not to, read all those bloody scrolls. <laughs> well, I well, not even that. I just remember meeting Iron Bull for the first time, and I love Iron mm-hmm. Bull, but yes. he will like tell you the entire history of his people. He will mm-hmm. talk about for 20 minutes to a half hour about the Kunari, their religion, who their leaders are, and you don't like meet another Kunari for like another 20 hours of game right. and it's like it just isn't relevant until like 20 hours later now i'm like i was supposed to remember all that stuff uh that that that's kind of what i'm talking about it's just uh you know and i love dragon age you know i mean and obviously too, like uh, maybe like, they're more popular than me so maybe they know something mm-hmm. i'm not i don't but I, I just always found that like that kind of lore dumping right um mm-hmm. just especially for little games like mine like i can't i, I can't do that so I find have to find other ways of, of doing something similar. Right. Um, let me move us on to, I'm curious about interfaces, and, and specifically yeah. to, to discuss them with you, just because you, you've used um, a, quite, a, quite a, I think, a variation of them, let's say. I, mean, I, I hesitate mm-hmm. there for a second because I'm, I'm referring, obviously, to or including your published works as well. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm just curious what you feel about, inter- or how you feel about the different types of interfaces, because they're, I don't know, it seems like they... They can either stand in between the player and having an adventure, or they can be like part of the toolkit that the player uses. And, and there's, well it's, it's kind of also a bit of a argumentatively hot topic in a sense. People can get kind of vehement from one direction to the other. And yeah, just wondering, do, do you put much thought into it, or do you feel passionately about one or the other? I mean, it's it's basically whatever works. I, I think like the the more the the less uh, f- clunk between me and making things happen, the better. I think like with, with Unavowed, I did the, um, I, I did this thing where if you hover over something, it gives you, you see a text description pop up onto mm-hmm. the screen, like a tooltip. Um, Cause normally you would l- right click to, they would give a description and then left click would be interacting. Um, and Francisco Gonzalez gave a wonderful talk at uh, Adventure X last year where he talked about no one ever right clicks. And he's right, no one ever right clicks. Um, and um, with unavowed, like you, you had the the text description just appear on the screen, so it's like it's you can sort of scan with your mouse and get it all, and get it all there. Um, and also, it saves on the voice acting, which is nice. But unavowed, it worked because um, the main character was uh, wasn't voiced. He was uh, they they rather were were silent most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that worked out. There was no other way to get descriptions because. Um, that, so that right. worked pretty well, but I was debating forever, forever whether I should do the same thing with old guys because mm-hmm. with that that character is voiced mm. and has her own like personality and, and ways of looking at things. So it would be nice to have those descriptions voiced. But then I, I did a count of all of the her voiced lines in the game, and she already has like more lines than like some of my, like like a chunk of. Like games put together, so like I, I don't think we'll be lacking for hearing Fia talking in Old Skies. Um, so I decided to keep it because it's mm-hmm. just um, I think it's just more efficient. You know, I think whatever whatever gets you, whatever just doesn't get in the way. 
I don't want to get mm. in the way of, of the player doing stuff. Um, so whatever makes it simpler or more elegant, I, I think is, uh, I think works. There's we, no one size fits all for, for any game though. Okay. And that, that was kind of, we did an episode on this recently. That was basically the conclusion at the end is that there, there is no one size fits all and it really has to be almost customized to, to the game itself and the, the level of exploration that the game's asking of the player and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that makes that makes sense. Um, what about when it comes to like the games that you've published? Um, I know like Jim and I, Rue, for example, has a pretty unique. Uh, it's almost like a, a mashup between like the Sierra Icon Bar and, and the Verb Coin in a sense, where it's like a tiny Icon Bar uh, where a, a Verb bit, Coin yeah. would be. And so when when you do uh, when you publish games, like do you are you are you having the developers like Vince Twelve for Resins? Are you having them just come up with their own things or? Pretty much. I mean, if, it, if the interface didn't work and it wasn't fun, I, I might not have published it in the first place. I mean, with Resonance, I think in hindsight, um, you know, replaying it now, it's um, maybe a bit uh, a bit over-designed, maybe. Like, mm-hmm. it's a little too clever in places. Uh, you know, all the all the little windows and buttons that kind of swish around, and uh, it's it's very slick. But yeah. I think we would have, if I was doing it again, I would I would make it faster, just more responsive, that kind of thing. Um, like the the feeling is important. It's like you you want you want the, you don't want the, it to get in the way. Uh, but with Gemini Ru, I think the interesting thing about it, I've noticed like games have verb coins, like mm-hmm. the, you know, yeah, like uh, I think. Uh, you know, Crystal Monkey Island had it, and Full yeah. Throttle had oh, it, yes. and they yeah. do this interesting thing that I always that never made any sense to me, which is where you have to hold down the mouse button for several seconds before it appears. Mm-hmm. And I I was testing a game where they did that. And I'm like, wow, like this makes no sense because right. why don't you just click and then it appears? Yeah, and. Um, often not like they never even considered it because this is just the way LucasArts did it back yeah. in the day. So I think it's because if you there's certain things on the screen you can just click once and mm-hmm. it'll work as opposed to it. But if you hold the mouse down, the verb coin appears. Um, but I think it's just that's just the way it was done. So a lot mm-hmm. of they just never considered doing anything else. And the same thing with like the classic Sierra interface. I think no one gets it. Mm-hmm. No one gets that classic Sierra, you know, uh, multiple, you know, um, icon interface. Like no one understands it. Right. It's clunky. It's I find it very ugly. Um, and no, if you've never played those games or didn't grow up on them, you just don't understand them. They make no mm-hmm. sense. So like I, I wouldn't use those. Um, so just yeah, again, like whatever gets out of the player's way, <laughs> just right. get out of their way. That's the best thing. Right. That's interesting. Have you ever, so the position I'm in right now is in this is, I'm just straight seeking advice for you from you at this point. I mean, it's, it's all, it's all, well, it's, it's all it's too late as far as development's concerned, but, <laughs> but it would seem to fit my game the best. And, and the one thing about the, the game that I'm developing is that it's, it's, um, what's the best way to put this? It's, it's, there's, you don't, um, you don't walk along a Y axis. It's 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 only on the X. You only go left or right, right? So it's extremely two yeah. D, um, and so that seems to lend itself incredibly well to the keyboard, Be, um, as far as just mm-hmm. left and right arrow. You, you use a walking left, you're walking right. There's no also can get ported to consoles a lot easier. Oh, interesting. Okay, noted. Thank you. Because you just go. You can just use the control stick left and right. Done. Right. Uh, right. 
And a downside to the arrows might be, you know, if you had to kind of, I'm thinking like the stairs in Sierra games, like any of that weird up left, up left. And so I don't have any of that. So it really lends itself quite well to the, to the arrows, to the keyboard. And then the way I kind of designed it was, was one, two, three, L-I-T, look, interact, touch. So you could do one, two, or three, or L-I-R-T, but, you know, kind of nudging the players in a brief tutorial in the beginning, like, hey, I know we don't get to ask them to remember much. We can, we can ask them, you know, to remember just a little bit, like, here's how my game's played, please remember, you know, but you can't ask too much of them. So I tried to really reduce it down to just the pressing one, two, or three for look, interact, and touch. And I'm just wondering if you've been in a position before where there was maybe a few different ways of playing the game and you wanted to nudge them in, into a certain direction or... Um, not really. Uh, I mean, I've asked some... I know I asked the Hobbs Barrow guys to add a map screen, like a tra- mm. fast travel. Mm. Um, Thank goodness, but yeah, that was perfect. That, oh, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, they, they actually did a really good job with that because there's yeah, certain areas where it's like, you know, you, you walk from, you know, you, you, you do a scene... And then you walk like two, like if you walk three scenes away, mm-hmm. like something happens. And so they had to disable the map screen for those moments. And they actually had to be very vigilant in figuring out what those were. So right. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but they, they did a good job with that. Um, uh, not often. I, I, I will, like often by the time a game gets to that stage, all those, like if either if, if I've been involved from early, though that stuff has been ironed out. Or by the time I see it and I like it, um, and I get involved, that's also been ironed out. Often, that like if it's really bad, it'll come across in testing. Um, right. And, and usually, like most of at least the games I publish, they have pretty standard interfaces. They're mm-hmm. like I find that the less clever you are, the better. Right. Um, because like a lot of folks, they try to. I once worked talking to this developer. He had this crazy way of doing um, dialogue trees, and. And I just said, that just sounds like a very overly complicated way of just doing a regular, you know, dialogue option screen. It just sounds like the exact same thing, just a lot more complicated. Right. And I, I don't I don't know if he ended up making the game in the end, but I, I think he did agree with me in the end. It just mm-hmm. uh, it just got ridiculously. It was just insanely over overly designed. And I, I'm I'm not clever enough to overdesign stuff, which is why it's very simple. <laughs> so yeah, it's almost one of those. If you, if you need a paragraph or three to descri- to describe it, then you might be in trouble. Like it, it should probably be a sentence or two. And mm-hmm. I guess uh, to 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 book in my starting point with that is I think I just ultimately realized that all the modern adventure games, to a degree, have have a very brief tutorial in the beginning. Um, like, hey, just in case you've never played an adventure game before, you, you point yeah. and you click. Um, and I, I think for me, it was, it was one of those moments that almost ties into what you're saying, where I was like, I think I might be overthinking this. Like, if I tell them, use the arrows and, and here's here's your buttons for, for look, interact, and touch, like, people just tend to go along with it. Like, okay, this is what I do for this game. Um, and so, yeah, yeah it's, it, it, it's a point of... of at the risk of over-designing when it's just like, hey, just walk away. Just tell them what to do and they'll probably do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I tend to focus on story stuff for that for that exact reason. I, I've i never been a gameplay guy. I've never been a design guy. I rely on Ben and, and whatever artist I'm working with to like design the UI. And it's typically just usually a version of, of the UIs that I've used since the first Blackwell game. Just the, yeah. you know, drop down inventory and you know some options if there's like something extra i think like blackwell had the notebook um old skies has like a has a um, but i it's kind of kind of like a web search not really a web search it's like a um so basically like a you can 
type in search terms and you can learn like what happens to these people in the future. Uh, and you use that information to solve puzzles and things like that. So um, that's part of the interface, but it's just a button. It's like not nothing too clever. Right, right. That that brings me to actually a, a spontaneous question I wanted to ask you. Is I noticed a, a lot of your games, in a very positive sense, have really cool mechanics, um, like the, you know, like the short term, long term memory, or um, I don't remember what it was called in Techno Babylon, but I adored the the um, oh, yeah. mixing. Oh yeah, a lot of time talking about that. The, well, the trance as well, but specifically um, when you when you uh, mix and mash like the the um, goodness, the, yeah. the personalities. Thank you, mm -hmm. personalities. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the little switches, I love that. <laughs> to this day, that James is that James is everyone remarks on that, like because he originally did that with a freeware game, and people loved it then. Um, yeah, he James is a is, was a genius. To uh, he he comes up with the craziest stuff, uh, and they are just they're a lot of fun to play around with. He's very good at creating things that are both clever and fun. Yeah, exactly. It, it's just it's just plain fun, and and it it really took advantage of the world of that mm -hmm. cyberpunk world, where it's like it made me feel like a cyberpunk detective in the future with futuristic, you know, but but somehow realistic, like a, a, you know, technology you could predict for, let's say, um, mm -hmm. that, that made it really interesting. So I guess, the, but the question would be is is are do you? I don't want to say do you look for cool mechanics because I, I would assume that's a bit rhetorical, but but is it? Um, I, I don't know. Is, is yeah? I, I guess is it something that you that you look for in games that you're wanting to publish, um, or is there's it just no fun? there's no rhyme or reason really. I mean, with Techno Babylon, he was he came to Adventure X once and showed it off, and um, I just instantly loved the look of it. I mean, the yeah. art style. I didn't realize it was Ben at the time, <laughs> but um, I just instantly I'm like, this looks amazing. Like I must have it. And then I, he actually came, he wanted to talk to me about it anyway. And it turned out, Oh, Ben's doing the art. Ben is already doing like three or four projects for me anyway. This is before I, I hired him full time. And I was thinking of doing that anyway, because mm -hmm. like he was working on all of these projects that I was publishing anyway. And he was also had a full time job, like as a, sheep wrangler you know he was working on a sheep farm <laughs> right. and so he would work with like work, deal with sheep all day and then come home and do art um and i'm just like you know what it's probably like why don't i uh, you know I'll, I'll take the risk salary and then he can just do all this art full time and mm -hmm. that's what we that's what we did about a decade and change ago and we haven't looked back since it's just been been wonderful ever since he's just been amazing you guys are like the but that, the, but the slash and in terms of, of venture games but, it, <laughs> but in terms of techno babylon and, and like why i take something it's never usually due due to a mechanic because the techno babylon that mechanic was there but it was very brief you know it was only one mm -hmm. scene um usually it's just a vibe i get i look mm -hmm. at it and like if it feels like something i want to play i it's it's hard to explain because it's just a, a feeling of, I like this. And that's yeah. what all of the games we publish have in common is that yeah. a lot of folks say, oh yeah, they, they all feel like they came from the same studio. And that's just because it's all mm -hmm. stuff that I personally like. Right. And I could get behind it because I really like it. And like there was that one, of course, and, and Primordia and Strangeland yeah. and, and all the other games mm -hmm. that we've done. 
um, Hobbs Barrow, when I played the demo, when it was called, um, I always butcher the original name. This is why we changed the name. Incantamentum? Inca- right, I think Incantum- it was called. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay, you don't remember it either. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, this, this is why we wanted to change the name. But uh, I played the the demo, and I was just thinking, like, I this is so evocative. This is so evocative of that time and place. And I just really wanted to, I really wanted to see more. Yeah. And the first, and the main thing I wondered was I, I asked the um, designer, um, Sean? You know, Sean, I, I wrote him and I said, like, are you going to add voice acting to this? Cause it's, it's screaming for it. Like right. you, mm-hmm. like this is something that needs voice acting. And he said, well, if we can find a publisher who will help us with that. And that, that and that was the reason why I took the game on because for that reason I wanted to a I know a lot of British voice actors that I've always mm-hmm. wanted to work with and cool. I liked the game it was just a vibe I got when I played it and it's it's something very intangible I can't explain it it's just like and also it has to hit me at the right time I mm-hmm. um, by maybe like I'm, I'm between projects or I'm wrapping up a project or I have the time or whatever yeah or the developer has a track record like they've already made several games so I knew. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have to babysit them as much, that kind of thing. Um, so there's no rhyme or reason why I will say, "Hey, let's let's work together," or "I'd love to publish this," or whatever. It's just I don't know. The, the planets align in a certain mm. way, and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, that's that's uh, it's good enough on this show, let's say, because we I think I think everything kind of comes down to a lot of things. Uh, Regard surrounding Ananites, like we use uh, by feel as as like a definitive reason for a lot of things, you know, just by feel on feel, and it's it is it is intangible as you said. It's hard to it's hard to exactly lay out what you know to put words to the feeling, but but it's certainly good enough of a reason. All right, let's see. Um, so I wanted to Anna's got some like kind of quick fire questions for you, but I, before we go there, I just wanted to kind of open up the mic as far as anything that you wanted to talk about with old skies, but also for Nighthawks. Um, something mm-hmm. hasn't been mentioned yeah, yet. I, like I, 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 if, if that was kickstarted, I backed it originally, I believe. Yes. Sweet. Okay. So that was the one. And yeah, I don't hear much about, it. I mean, obviously it's, it's not, it's, well, I shouldn't say obviously, but it's, it's not an adventure game. It's more of an RPG. Is that correct in saying? I mean, it is, it's, uh, it's very narrative heavy. Okay. A lot of, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's more RPG ish. Cause it's got, like combat and stats and stuff. Um, mm. So yes, but it's all text-based. So it's, um, I guess so. I mean, it's an RPG in the way like Quest for Glory might be an RPG. Like mm. it's there. Right. right. <laughs> it's, the, combat, the combat's kind of there, but it's not why you're playing it kind right. of thing. Well, And you're just publishing that? Um, yes. Well, I say, when you say I'm just publishing something, it's like me, myself, I'm not heavily involved, but Wadjadai is very involved because Dan Chandler has done all the art for it. So Dave Gilbert, me, I haven't done very much for it, but I'm, (laughs) my company has. So yes, Wadjadai has done quite a lot, but you know. Okay, and then to your your lovely wife Janet, who has been a tremendous help to me with without her ever having met or knowing me whatsoever, but just from oh. her works on AGS have been very helpful to me. Uh, like Ooh. a lot of times, the solutions I find was like a thread that she started. Um, does she still work for you guys? 
No. Um, we, uh, when we had a child, we, we kind of needed a, a, a second income. So it's like the, a, the games do very well for, um, you know, one person. You know, like if uh, for a one income, it's great. Like a one person income, it's wonderful. But it's we we need to. Like, but I also like being like supporting a whole family off them is incredibly stressful mm. because it, it comes. You know, there's boom and busts all the time. Right. There are years that you know maybe it takes a few extra years to get a game out. Maybe a game doesn't do very well. That kind of thing. Um, unfortunately, you know, we've, we've mostly been okay. But having you know, we we needed a bit more stability. So she got she got one of those real programming jobs. She uh, <laughs> works. Uh, she was doing work for a um, she's doing work for a, a. They used to be a VR company, but now they've they've moved to just web based stuff. Um, but so she's doing work for them, and it's it's really amazing work. But it's not really um, video game stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. But when she, you know, when she can, she helps out sometimes because she's much better at programming than I am. <laughs> so if I if I'm having like a lot of trouble, uh, like I can't get this algorithm to work, she sometimes helps me. But um, for the most part, she doesn't. She used to work full time doing watch and I stuff, but not anymore. Anymore. Did, and did you did you have programming experience before AGS, or did you just learn to do it for AGS? Not really. I mean, I I did some. Uh, but most of my programming comes from AGS. I used to program. I used to do stuff in BASIC when I was a kid. Right. Okay. Like ten, you know, go to twenty, that kind of thing. Like it was, uh, you know, completely obsolete stuff. But I guess I could still think a bit like a programmer. I don't right. know. But mostly my programming knowledge comes from AGS, which is why when I tried to switch to Unity or try another system, it's just completely over my head. Right, right. I remember in your origin story, you had mentioned Basic, and it was, at the mo- in that moment, it was reminding me of the other Gilbert, um, because you know I think Ron had done Basic, and then he, and then you went on to say that you played King's Quest, and that would be Ron's next step, and then Ron hated King's Quest, and you were like, he jumped, he jumped when I typed it, <laughs> <laughs> and that's where you guys diverged heavily. <laughs> well, he's uh, yeah, I was I was much younger when I played King's Quest, so. <laughs> <laughs> although not by much, not by much. <laughs> Um, okay, well, Anna, I've, I've been talking so much. I'm so sorry. Do you want to? Do you want to hit him with some of the? <laughs> she's got some really cool uh, quick fire okay, questions. Hit me, like she, she came up with so many good questions. I'm like, we better just do this as quick fire because I don't want to cut any of them. I like them a lot. So okay, sorry. Oh, cool. So we'll go through all of them there. So yeah, yeah. You don't need to put too much thought into it. It's just kind of fun. But uh, yeah, the first question is, if you could transport one of your game characters into the real world for one day, maybe even hang out with them, who would it be and why? Oh, good God. Uh... <laughs> Okay, that's an interesting question. Um, I think Mandana from Unavowed would give some amazing tours of New York because <laughs> yes. she knows she knows like what something used to be several hundred years ago. Like she was like, I remember when this mighty tree was a sapling, that kind of right. thing. Or like I remember when like there used to be like a you know a bunch of fairies living in this pond or whatever. Like she she just would be give amazing tours. Of course, she could still, and she, you know, she can't make anything up because she can't lie. No, she's great. I love her voice actor. Who did that? Was that Sandra? It's Sandra, I think, did the Sandra voice. Spinoza. Yeah, she's yeah. um, she goes by Dusty Old Roses on on the Twitter, yes. and she's you know, she's amazing. I she I haven't worked with her since, which uh, I, no. I really, I know I have worked with her on um, on Whispers of a Machine. I was going to say, uh, I think she did. Yeah, that is yeah. right. Yeah, um, I I can't wait. I need to work with her again because she's amazing. 
I didn't, know, really I didn't know you were involved with Whispers. I thought that was uh, like Raw Fury. It was. Well, Clifftop um, being published by Raw Fury, and I did the voiceover casting and directing. Oh, okay. That's right. You do pop up in all the voice acting stuff. It's <laughs> <laughs> very often Dave Gilbert in the scrolls, in the credits, I mean. <laughs> I did uh, Kathy Rain and right. Whispers. And Joel or Yol. Yeah, that was oh, a lot great. of fun because it was like I could, uh, I, could I had all the, the great experience of working with the actors and uh, directing them and enjoying that and, and not have to bother with any of like the editing afterwards. Right. So it's, it's almost always like a, the tedious part. It was like a grandkid instead of a kid, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you, could, you could send them away when you're yeah. done having your fun. It's like, all right. <laughs> Your mother's problem now. Go right. yeah. <laughs> Gosh, you must just have friends all over the world, don't you now? Just because of voice acting and connecting with people. I mean, could you ever have imagined what your friend base would have looked like 20 or 30 years ago? No. Well, what's amazing is that, I mean, I shouldn't say it's amazing because of COVID, but because of COVID, <laughs> um, I used to be very precious about uh, only working with actors in New York because mm-hmm. I wanted everyone to be from the same microphone. Uh, I used to work hard out of my um, uh, studio apartment uh, mm-hmm. before we had a kid and moved to a bigger place. And for some reason, there was something about the acoustics in my old apartment where everyone sounded great. But in this apartment, they always sounded terrible. The, it's just, it just was not that soundproofed here. Um, mm-hmm. And so everything just came into the microphone. So I, I found a, a studio in Midtown that I worked at. And I worked with mostly New York-based actors. Um, but then COVID hit, lockdown happened. And mm-hmm. I think for Strangeland, I had to, I'm like, well, I'll work with remote actors now. And I mm-hmm. opened it up to basically the entire world. And I knew just from going to various events like Adventure X and uh, Develop and things like that, I knew a lot of actors in the UK. And I got to work with them, especially on Hobbs Barrow. I got to work mm-hmm. with all of my, my British voice actor friends. And it was such an amazing experience. And um, yeah, now I'm like working with voice actors from like Hawaii or Australia or, you know, um, Russia, Europe, as well as like my voice actor friends from two subway stops away. It's right. um, it's amazing. I do miss working with them face to face. I think I yeah. always will. There was something yeah. intangibly special about working with someone face to face. chemistry. But I can't mm. deny that like it's just so much easier to work remotely. I don't have to like rent out the studio space. It's cheaper. I don't have to commute into the city every day. It's mm-hmm. like I just roll up to my laptop and, and just record them, and it's great. Um, and I get to work with people all over the world, and it's it's so great, yeah. Yeah, that does sound fantastic. Gosh, I, I just want to ask one last question connected Ask with as that. much you- as you want. Yay. Um, <laughs> in Hobbs Barrow, how, what was it like? I mean, it, it all sounded really natural. <clears throat> Everything sounded oh, great. But was it any different working with British a cast compared to working with, say, Americans or, or anybody else? Well, I've, 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 I'm in England a lot. My wife is British. Yeah. And I, so, right. so th- th- there's that. But also, I think like, I find it, it's a big point of pride that actual Brits that everyone sounded authentic because it wasn't just everyone had to be British. It was that mm-hmm. they were all from Yorkshire. Mm-hmm. And right. so, and I, I am kind of familiar with the Yorkshire accent. Uh, that's where my wife, where Janet lived when we were dating. So I was, I, I want to say I'm familiar with the Yorkshire accent, but the really thick Yorkshire accent, I couldn't understand. So sometimes <laughs> I'd get auditions and I would ask them like, 
is this a really good accent or just a really bad one? Because I can't understand what they're saying. Um, but uh, fortunately, the game was actually written by Brits. Mm-hmm. And I figured, well, I like the way they sound. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I have a good instinct for how how good someone sounds. Um, right. And like just in terms of there's some kind of like I look for like authenticity. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it. A lot of it is is just gut feeling and vibes. Um, but I when I went to when I got someone I liked, I would make a point of sending it to the developers and say, does this sound authentic to you? Mm-hmm. And if they said yes, I'm like, OK, it's fine. Because I figure if they could um, pass, uh, if it, if they could, if your if your accent is good enough to fool a pair of Brits, then I figure you're fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, off the time, like, it's I also have to, since it's not just you want a British accent, but right. British accent specifically that's like in England for British people. Yeah. It's it's very regional, and so when I'm working with the actors and like something that I might have thought was a typo or something. Um, or they add a little colloquialism or something. I'm not like I, I thought that just sounds weird to my American ears. Mm-hmm. Um, I will just have to trust them, and because like they would know more than me. I think there was this one where the the bartender said um, like two pound, two pound, two pound, or something like that. Mm-hmm. It would be two pound something, and I'm like, would you say pound or pounds? Right. Um, and it's for some reason. Because in the script it said pounds, but mm-hmm. just instinctually the actor said pound because that's how we felt it should sound. And mm-hmm. he was also from the north. And I'm like, well, in that kind of situation, I'll do it both ways and then uh-huh. run it past the developer and see what they say. Uh, and often that, that's the case with any game, not just British stuff, but like with Whispers mm-hmm. of a Machine, for example. Um, I think when an actor does a role for long, I warn you, you get me started on voice acting, I won't stop. Oh, um <laughs> when when an actor's done a role for a long time, especially mm. when Ivy Dupler did um, Vera and Whispers, mm. they'll often get a feel for it. Um, they have a unique connection to the character that even the writer doesn't have. Right. And mm-hmm. sometimes, like there'll be a word or a line that's phrased in a, in a slightly weird way, and it'll just feel weird in their mouth. And they'll mm-hmm. like, Ivy once I think it was um, I forget what the line was. But it was something about, I think it was blue stuff. There's blue stuff on the floor. And then she said the line, and we both looked at each other. And she's like, yeah, you hear it too. It sounds weird, right? Because mm-hmm. she's this very like official, by-the-book cop. And mm-hmm. the word stuff sounded weird. So I, we changed mm-hmm. it to something else. But we weren't sure if it was done that way for a reason. So we recorded it as written. And then we do the alternate version and just see what they say, just just in case. But and but that's what I always do. I always listen to those instincts because that is a reason. That's one thing an actor brings to the table is that mm. they've worked very hard to like make things sound natural and give a character certain traits and quirks that make the character who they are. And mm. after a while, that becomes second nature. And if you don't listen to them when they feel that something's wrong, then like then you're not using half of the reason why you want to use a, a real flesh and blood actor uh, to to start with. And you can tell I, I'm not a big fan of AI for that reason. Right, right. That's no. so interesting. So the, the voice actor basically forms like a somewhat or an intimate relationship with the character, and to the point yes. where they can almost 
instinctively draw from the character itself and be like, she'd probably say this, like almost more yeah. feeling. Interesting. Especially if the, with, a, with a character that is recurring or if it's a, a player character or a main character or someone that comes back after several games, like by the last Blackwell game, Abe Goldfarb, like yeah. he would look at me sometimes and be like, this doesn't sound like, this doesn't sound very Joey. Could we, could we, could mm. I maybe change this word or say it this way or whatever? And I would usually say yes, unless there was a specific reason why it had to be that way. Right. Um, because, you know, yeah, listen to them, <laughs> listen to them. That's like why they're there. Right. I wanted to ask you too, you seem, um, cause I think one of the, I, I don't know, I've been trying to, to frame this to myself even the last two days and I've, I've eventually decided on scrapping it as a question for you, but, but here we are to my surprise as well. Um, <laughs> ask away. <laughs> no, no stupid questions, just stupid answers. But I just, I, I feel like I'm bad at almost framing questions. I, I think I'm I, I more just say stuff at you and then I'm like, respond. Um, <laughs> but, um, you, you seem to have like qu- quite a natural talent for direction. It, like oh, there's, there's something about the the Blackwell series that that I don't, it just feels very well directed, and so I'm just I'm wondering if that's uh, I know this is, this is a really again just a poor way to frame a question to you because I'm almost asking you to 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 pat yourself on the back, which isn't fair because I would hate that if someone did it to me. But again, here we are. But I'm, I guess here okay, here's a way to frame it. Do you, could you see yourself? Um, I don't know, in a different timeline, like directing films, or do you have a particular mm-hmm. interest in in direction itself? Well, I, I went to school for – I studied broadcasting in college and I did okay. some directing. But I, I found like the the chaos of like a um, – you know, like telling the cameras where to go and, you know, all that stuff was, was a little – was so crazy um, for me. But when I would like sit down with an actor one-on-one, I really enjoyed it. Mm. And I, I – but it wasn't really something I thought of doing. I, um, I think what – like I said, when I first did the Shiva um, – 20 no 17 years ago um i i wanted to give it value and i thought okay you know i'll add voice acting and i was in an improv group at the time and i asked them uh if they could help me out with like you'll be in this game you know buy a pizza afterward whatever and they said yes And, and one of the actresses her name is ruth Weber, she played rodshri in the game um she actually did some voice acting like professional mm-hmm. voice acting. She did cartoons and stuff. And she would ask me questions. I don't remember exactly what they were, but um, she would ask me certain questions about the character and like how just certain things that I was, I, I never really thought about. Mm-hmm. Um, I just made me realize that there was a lot more to the, um, the discipline of voice acting than I had realized. And I was kind of fascinated by it. And she would, tell me these things that she would do to like give herself energy, like how she would try to connect to the character, how she would sit and stuff like that. You know, it's like, and I, I found that just fascinating, absolutely fascinating. And then the more I did it, the more I just became interested in like how these actors managed to do it. Because what I love about voiceover um, or love about video game voiceover specifically mm-hmm. is that unlike a lot of cartoons or um and the commercial voiceover and things like that video game voiceover is probably the most grounded Mm -hmm. voiceover you'll hear because a lot of it um you don't get a lot of cartoony over the top characters in video games they're mostly very very grounded um and so it's important that the characters sound realistic and grounded Mm -hmm. and you have to believe you know and, and i find that and and getting getting to that point 
seeing an actor get to that point mm-hmm. is I find it amazing to watch. And I just, and I think that the actors that I've kind of found myself gravitating towards Mm -hmm. are the ones who can kind of reach those points very quickly and very instinctually. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Rather, they have to like feel things very intensely and get to that point very quickly, which is Mm -hmm. why a a lot of voice actors who've been doing it for a long time are the craziest people you'll ever meet because they have, they feel everything very, very intensely and they have to like whip these emotions out within a second notice. Like if you have someone um, working on like a, a big Epic RPG and if someone like Jennifer Hale is doing commander Shepard, I I can say this because I I went to a talk by her and she talked about this where you have scripts that are like, you know, the size of skyscrapers and you can't give context for every single line. It's more like you're angry here, you're upset here, you're jealous. And so she knows it's not about believing or knowing exactly the context of what the character is going through, but what it's like, how do you feel that, feel that Mm -hmm. and make it like, it's not enough that uh, the audience believes that Jennifer Hale is on a spaceship and like horrible things are happening and she's angry. They just have to believe she's angry. Mm-hmm. And if she can connect to that and like, you know, cause a lot of the time it's you're angry, but you're trying to like hide it. Right. So mm-hmm. it's like you, if, as long as you're, you gotta be feeling it very intently. And as long as you, when you can reach that point, it's like, you can do some amazing things. And I, I just, I, again, I, I'm going off cause I can talk about this forever. And I find That's that right. just fascinating when like mm-hmm. an actor does that. And I just, I just blows my mind because I, I can't do that myself. That's just not something I can do. Right. And, but I, I love, working with the actors who can and it's just amazing to watch and i find the whole discipline fascinating Mm -hmm. it's like you created a character that has some of you in it and now you're sharing that character character with somebody else and they're becoming a part of that character like that that's that's really quite heavy it's it's really it's it's kind of magic i i can't quite explain it it's uh for me anyway that's why i love it so much and why i i talk about it so much and probably that that comes across in 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 the the voice acting in the games that uh, i release because i just um uh, I, I just love I love working with the actors, and I think they um, they feel that. And I think by making it fun um, and making it also comfortable, you know, making sure they're taken care of and everything, all that's important too. Right. Mm-hmm. You you put something in such an interesting way that that, that really it makes the, your fascination a bit contagious because it, it helps me understand. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it helps me understand how you see it, where you worded it like, um, and I, I, I guess I want to bounce this off you to make sure I'm understanding it correctly, but it, but it just clicked it once when you said it, where it's like they, they have to believe it so intensely and authentically. It, it, it's almost, I, I guess, I want to make sure I understand it correctly, that, that if they can feel it intensely and authentically, only then can they bring it back down to a subtle level, level if needed. Like, yeah, because it, ha- it has to be genuine. Exactly. Right. Right. Okay. See, that's that is that is extremely interesting. Because as you said, people aren't, you know, maybe they're not like dialed up to eleven in anger all the time. But if you can channel mm-hmm. that, then you can bring it back down. You know, and control yeah. these subtle levels of, of emotion. That's really interesting. When I was working with Abe Goldfarb on Strangeland, like he was he was connecting to something dark, mm-hmm. and like, he's like one of my oldest friends, and I just I'm like I'm feeling like. I'm hurting my friend, you know, cause he, I didn't, you don't, I'm not going to ask him what he's thinking about, but it's like, I believed 
he, he was hurting, you know, mm. he connected to something that made him brought him to where he needed to be. Wow. And, and he said, that's the great thing about as an actor, it's, it's good to be able to use those feelings. That's, right. that's one reason. That's what draws me to being an actor, you know, and I, I, I just love that's that. Cool. I just love that. That, that is very, just, it, it validates, you know, uh, past traumas in a sense, because you can use it for something positive. I'm sure forward. you'd much rather not have trauma, but at the same time. Oh, right. But we're all going to in an existential yeah. manner, so you might as well use yeah. it positively. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, and I, I, I just, uh, I find that magical. I, I really do. I'm, I'm fascinated by the whole aspect. Paul and I played around with our first little mini stint in voice acting for a, a two hour long video on Conquests of the Longbow that was done by One Short Eye. And I got to play Maid Marian and Paul was Will. And, and it's not really something other than narrating to play through a game for beta testing. It's not something I'd ever yeah. really done before. It's an experience, even on a small scale like that. I've done some voice acting myself, though. I don't know if it counts when, like, I'm casting the game and I cast myself. I <laughs> right. I, I gave myself, like, the... I technically gave myself the player character in Unavowed. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, you know, there's a male and female version of that character, and there's, like, a very mm-hmm. complicated backstory. And mm-hmm. when I was working with Shelly on the female version... Half the session was just me explaining to her what the hell was going on, and because like there's so much subtext that goes right. into like everything, and um, I think for the next one I'm like, well maybe I could I could just save some time and money and, and do it myself in between sessions. If a session ends early, I'll just hop into the booth and record because I was in the studio, so I just did it myself because it was it was easier and cheaper mm-hmm. and quicker, um, and I, I did okay. <laughs> It sounded great. Did you pop oh, up in? Um, I feel like you had a cameo, maybe in a Golden Wake or Lamplight. I not in Lamplight. I I think I was in Golden Wake. It's been so long. Um, I think it was a train conductor. I'm not yeah. sure. It's been right. so long. Um, I was in Whispers. Um, mm-hmm. I forget as who. I think I was someone on a tape recorder. Um, <laughs> I know I was in Kathy Rain. I think I was like a a drunk barfly. Um, but again, I, I casted all of those games, so I could, I could, mm-hmm. I gave, it's like a little dinky, usually I would give myself some dinky little role that is like, right. oh, I forgot to cast this one. He's got three lines. I'll just do it myself. Right. Just, right. Um, it, it reminds me of Tarantino in a sense, you know, just kind of, just, just, just to slip in there. Just I think to be in, in, the film. in Gemini Rue, I'm like an assorted bunch of like New York style thugs. <laughs> where I, I, <laughs> the idea thugs. of like the the idea of the games publisher shooting the player in the face, I find kind of funny. It's uh, so. <laughs> I like that behind the scenes inter- uh, information. Now, speaking of, you were mentioning that you weren't really into directing. There's so many sides of it. So, like, let's take that a step further. And well, say like, if, like if, actual tell, like recording on a like a set. Like Set. an actual, yeah. like the like a live, like the cameras going and the actors are moving around, and I gotta exactly. remember where all the cameras are, who's pointing so at what. Much. Okay, camera two, point at this. Okay, yeah. cut to two. Oof, ah, it was way too much. Way too much. So if you're if one of your games was adapted into a movie or TV series, do you have an idea of who you might like to direct it, or even which actors oh, you would envision playing any of the characters? Uh, I hate this question. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> Because it's like, oh, who who would you want to play Rosa and Joey? I'm like, I don't know. I I can only Rosa envision Abe and Rebecca. So let's <laughs> let's make it let's make it animated so I can reuse them. I I don't Ooh, know. Actually, uh, I like that. Yeah. Would you? I, I mean, that's another side. Maybe you take it in an animated direction. I totally would. If I'm always willing, just so everyone knows, I am totally willing to sell out if there is anyone willing to buy in. Like I am. Right. No, I will buy. I will. I will sell out in a heartbeat. 
Like if anyone yeah. is willing to like pay for it, no problem. You heard it here. <laughs> Email us, mail at theclassicgamersguild.com. We'll hook you up. <laughs> no problem, you know. <laughs> I'll only like, you know, like certain IPs were sold for a billion. I'll only take half that. No, no problem. Easy. Easy. <laughs> Easy. You're talking yeah. real world numbers here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, how about this? In an alternative universe, like, and you're kind of, you've, you've explored, you've played around in other genres a little bit, but let, let's imagine that, like, say uh, you were to completely make a game in an entirely different genre that had nothing to do with adventure games, RPG story. Is there another game that you would, like an action game, something like Frogger? Is there anything you're, you're interested <laughs> in otherwise? I mean, I love, like, um, I, I guess, like, I mean, there, it's more of an artist thing, but like the there's a there was a brief resurgence in what they call cinematic platformers, mm-hmm. um, like uh, like Out of This World or uh, things right. like that. There was there's one, and I'm forgetting the name of it, and it's driving me crazy. It's so beautiful. Um, it's about like a a little boy running around a city that has monsters in it. Um, but it's just like, or it just really tells the story through just visuals and and very minimal action as opposed to like dialogue and things like that um that seems more up my alley except i'm not an artist so mm-hmm. i probably wouldn't be the one to, to to make that uh i don't know because i'm not a gameplay guy and i'm not an artist and so right. all, all i have left is, is really the the narrative and um the the programming if it was ags and i guess <laughs> being a project manager but um I don't know. Let's just hope I never have to answer that, uh, figure that question out. <laughs> Not in real life. Well, perfect. Well, the, the last question I have for you, and this is one I'm kind of curious about, and I mean, you don't even necessarily need to tell me what, if, but is there any Easter eggs in any of your games that nobody has discovered yet? Something hidden somewhere that only mm. you or a programmer knows is there? Or is it kind of already, it's out there, it's in the walkthroughs, it's in the videos, people have talked about everything? Um... There's this one stupid joke that I thought that everyone would hate me for, but no one has gotten the reference. There's this one, one really, this, you could tell I was, I, I had a, a young child um, at the time. I mean, she's still young, but she was younger then, uh, where I think in an unavowed, there's a, a guy named Diego. And uh, if you're, and Vicky says to him, it's like, yes. She says, how's your cousin doing? And he says, oh, you know, she's always traveling. And like, cause she was always watching Dora the Explorer. Swiping, no swiping. And like, no one got that joke. I thought for sure everyone would hate me for that joke. No one, or at least if they got it, they never, like, they never said anything. I'm like, I made a freaking Dora the Explorer joke in Unavowed. You're going to let me and get away with yeah, this? Yeah. So that, that, that's one of them. I think people always wonder, it's like, oh, what happened to Joey? And there's this one, I didn't even notice this myself. Ben threw it in. It was, um, <laughs> In the subway in Unavowed, there's a there's a sign um, that says there's only one mall, and underneath it says Ejoy, and uh, and you see like there's a, a, a picture of a, a guy wearing a tie, but it's it's very small, so it's hard to tell what it is. But it's like you know one mall. You flip that around, you have Malone and mm-hmm. E-Joy. You flip that around, you have Joey. Joey. And oh. So you have Joey Malone. And, and like, I didn't even get that joke <laughs> until Ben <laughs> told me about it. I didn't even notice it. So, you know, I, I, that's another one that I found funny. And there's, there's plenty in Old Skies as well. 
I, I love that so much more for you not getting it. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. no, ben throws all sorts of weird Easter eggs into the art. Like every, if there's graffiti, every single bit of graffiti means something. If it's like some weird like set of words or phrases or numbers, it means something. Because he always figures graffiti always means something to somebody. Right. So he, he makes a point of you know, making sure it means something to him. Oh, I relate to that. I can't put numbers in, in, in the game at all without it being something. I'm like, well, I mean, might as well be somebody's birthday. We're yeah. here. <laughs> and I think in a lot of the games, like there's always a reference to apartment 4E. If you ever go to an apartment number, it's usually 4E. That's because I used to live in an apartment 4E. And oh, that's cool. the first one that always comes to my brain. Is that the one with the good sound? The good acoustics? <laughs> was <laughs> and, I, and if anyone figures i no longer live there so i don't care if anyone figures right. that out. go knock on the door it's fine see who lives there you now. don't know I mean, we're really you don't know what okay. building it's in although like if you look at um a lot of the locations in, in the black games they all are like around five minutes from where i used to live so i, I imagine if you like did like a a radius <laughs> you could figure out roughly where my building was <laughs> it's all right within it's all within five minutes of where i used to live so. the committed stalker could work it out yes the committed stalker. <laughs> <laughs> all right i got one last one for you before i before uh, we start to wrap up i'm just wondering what would you suggest and this is this is uh not so subtly trying to trying to sell a game or two for you too but what would you recommend to a a new adventure gamer and conversely to a a seasoned adventure gamer as far as your catalog is concerned so what wadget i game would you say hey if you're kind of new adventure play this one and if you're seasoned play this one i i mean it's not like my games are particularly challenging so Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Although I would say if you're a more seasoned one, the ones that have the more difficult puzzles would probably be Resonance and Primordia. Those are the Mm -hmm. ones that folks generally say are the more challenging. Um, But I'd say if if you're new, I mean, most of them are pretty user-friendly. Unavowed seems to be popular. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I'm really terrible at at judging this kind of thing. but yeah, none of my games are particularly challenging, the ones that I've written. Um, and I'd say Unavowed is probably one of the more accessible ones, so go with that one. Okay, you know what? Now I thought of a more fun question. Sorry, real quick. All right. <laughs> what of what your own games? I won't do published games because that, that uh, risks you having to like name a favorite child. So we'll forget the published ones because um, they're by different wonderful developers. And for the record, Resonance and, and Golden Wake are two of my all-time favorite Amazing. games. Um, cool. I, I probably probably... I, I, yeah. Okay. No, this isn't a me ranking thing. Sorry. Um, what is your <laughs> What is your favorite game of your of yours of your own game? Whether it's one okay. specific Blackwells, etc. Well, it's funny because like I I come I think about the games that I had the most fun working on, the games that I have most fun playing later, or like the games I'm most proud of. Um, like I like different ones for different reasons, but if uh, I can think of like three for different reasons, Un- Blackwell Unbound, I had the most fun working on because mm-hmm. I it was like I needed to get it out quickly. I was running out of money, and I just sort of threw it together and kind of what whatever I thought would work, I threw it in. Like I wasn't really thinking too deeply about will this sell you know i didn't have like a lot of experience to draw from so i wasn't second guessing myself constantly um and i just sort of it was just this wild intense creative few months uh and so i think i had the most fun working on that one so i remember it really fondly um blackwell epiphany is the game that like i that was the game i always envisioned making 
Cool. And I, I finally had like the, the clout and experience to pull it off. And I, I still look at that game and I'm like, yeah, this, this is, this is, this is it. Like this is, this is it. Ah. Un, uh, but unavowed, I, I still enjoy the crap out of playing. So good. Like I still play it, and I like I put different character combinations together, and they say something. I'm like, oh yeah, that was cool. Like because there's so much in there that I've forgotten a chunk of it. So I still I still find it a lot of fun. Uh, so so just, those are those are three. Just to make you uncomfortable, appraise. I'll just say un, I, unavowed. I played for three days straight and did nothing else. No personal Yay. hygiene. None of that. <laughs> you're, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> Just paying the favor forward because there were plenty of games back in the day that were, I did the same. So I, was, and I, I played that game in a rush. to. I wanted to play it before a walkthrough came, came out. I did the same yeah. thing with Thimbleweed, but I was like, I'm going to play on about before there's even a walkthrough. And who knows? Maybe maybe I, there was one. I mean, I don't even know, but I didn't let myself Google it. And oh. I assumed like it, I said, it's not a, the puzzles are never challenging. I think I think there's one that a lot of people get stuck on, and that's only because I didn't signpost it well enough. It was the, uh, I think it was the the door pat the the roof door key code. Um, mm-hmm. I think that was the in Wall Street. I think that was the one that a lot of people got stuck on. But that was my fault for being a bad designer. <laughs> that's harsh. That's harsh on yourself. No, I yeah. Anyway, I adored the yeah lunchbox. Please, I'm trying to I'm talking to Dave Gilbert here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's I, that's all I got. Um, Anna, what do you say? Um, I just want to say thank you for the entertainment. I mean, it's not so. I mean, people can you can make a movie <laughs> and you entertain me for two hours, right? And you Aww. write books Aww. and and you can. But this is something else because I've been involved in your world and your game, and I feel like I I know you like not. How do I put it? It's like, I've said it to Paul before, seeing somebody's game is like seeing into their brain just a little bit, kind of how they think and how things work. And it just, it gives me that connection. And also having met you in person before, it's just, you've been a, a huge part of my life for such a long was time. It, and, and I, I'm suddenly remembering, <laughs> was it you mm-hmm. who um, asked me for advice about a game design they were working on? Or am I thinking of somebody else? Uh, I don't know so many. Co- I wasn't working on a game at the time. Okay, so. that must have been someone else I'm thinking of. I'm sorry. I did. No, I did write okay. you when I first started making my game because there's a ghost in it. Yeah. And, oh. and I was like, hey, you did a you did a game with a ghost. You mind if I do one too? And you're like, I don't I don't own adventure games with ghosts. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> not even adventure games with blue ghosts because there's a that was a, that just came out. The Will of Arthur Flabbington just came out. And right. That one has a blue ghost, and you know, Thimbleweed Park. You have like right, nerdy Frank. redhead girl and blue ghost who blows on things. Right. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> So yeah, thank you. It's it just it's great in this world how we can all uh, affect each other's everyday life all because and I mean I for that. a lot of the reason yeah. for all of us is because we booted up a computer and put something in it, some kind of a game, something that took our imagination off in a direction that we didn't expect and and that's just so amazing to me sitting here right now <laughs> in 2024 for goodness sakes, seeing yeah. how much that has affected all of our lives. Oh, that is a wonderful sentiment. I love that. Well, thank you. Thank I don't you. want to say anything to ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about how about we say uh, thank you so much for coming on, and and thank you so much for uh, yeah. you, the listener, for listening to the Classic Gamers Guild. This podcast. was this was a ton of fun. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> I, I appreciate. I, I was that. out of practice. I haven't been interviewed in a while, so it's like, wow, I I, I can still talk. Wonderful. <laughs> well, well, thank you. Yeah, we can we can do our our finishy up uh, little Patreon talk and everything after. So the finishy up. I love fun. that. 
the finishy uppy things. It's the finishy uppy things. <laughs> that's the technical. That's the industry technical term for it. The finishy up bit. It is. It is. So yeah, I, I don't know if you have to. If you have to go, I heard you were being called from the other room, and uh, you know, just uh, that. That's okay. Now we've got everything we want on there, but. Uh, I'm really okay. glad you came on the show. I've, oh, same, we've been same. wanting Thank to talk to you me. for ages, and and Paul's been saying, you know, Anna, you gotta you gotta complete because I, I want to play all your games before we talked, and and I was like, okay, I had the last few eyes I mentioned in the, in the chat. I hadn't do, done Shiva yet, and a few other ones, and and then and then you wrote it. It's such a beautiful time, and and we had actually we're finally getting organized enough to do calendars because we can only do so many interviews in a year. We're only a biweekly podcast, and we we don't we're not an interview focused podcast. So we well, I, I listened to um, respect into this. I kind of mm -hmm. scanned through your 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 archive, I guess it's called, mm -hmm. and I I saw you talk to Ivy and mm -hmm. um, Love and Ivy. just some people oh. I've worked with, and I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. like that. And it was it, we had talked like you did that interview like a few years ago, so yeah. it was oh, like yeah. we had we had just I think we, I don't know if we had just done whispers or something like so. that. It was, it was really right it was, around um, that time. Yeah. yeah, I think it might have been, even been before lockdown or something crazy. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so I was like, oh, wow, like, I, like, maybe I should talk to these guys. And, and lo and behold, there we go. Now, that, that, oh. when, you, when you had mentioned, I think you had reached out on Twitter or something, but you're just like, ah, how did I, <clears throat> I just discovered your show. I don't know how I didn't see it. I went through the back. Like, that's still making my yeah. day. <laughs> We've been telling everybody about this. We're like, and he messaged us. <laughs> oh, please. It's like, you've met me. I'm, like, <laughs> it's like, no. I'm not that impressive when you meet me. <laughs> <laughs> untrue, untrue. You know, just just oh, the best you. conversations and flow. Because Paul's like, I've never really met him. How is it going to go? You know, I hear him on interviews, and I'm like, it's a flow, and we have so much in common in so many different ways. So, it, and it go. was, it was exactly that. So, thank you. Well, you you were right. I actually do have uh, uh, a thing. It's just um, yes, we are. Right. Uh, yeah, I do need to jam. But uh, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you, David. It was such a pleasure talking <laughs> to you, and good luck with old skies. And we will be harassing you in various socials and stuff. Feel free, feel free. I'm very, I'm very harassable. All right, guys, we are all done. That's the show. Thank you so much for listening. It's bloody. It's it's just me, by the way. Everybody's everybody's gone. They they all went home. Anna's Anna's probably off doing something just on the nose Canadian. Because. <laughs> I was on video calls there yesterday with some of the Hotspot Network friends, and, and in the middle of it, Anna just takes a sip of water, but it's from one of those giant Gatorade bottles that hockey players use. Just it's just great. Makes the world feel small and safe when you see that kind of that kind of goodness. Sorry, sorry. Let me regroup. Okay, so we're all done. Thank you guys for listening. We have some news. I we is in you know just. Just me and, and the spirit of, of other people have news for you, which is the Adventure Game Fanfare is going off this summer, very end of July, in Tacoma, Washington. You guys got to come. You just got to you gotta do it because I'm going to be there. Um, actually, I think Dave, Dave Gilbert is going to be there, I believe, Francisco Gonzalez. There's going to be a Sierra Online alumni, alumni reunion. You got your bloody Ken and Roberta Williams. You got your Al Lowe, Lori and Corey Cole. Um, a bunch of people from LucasArts side are going to be there as well. Uh, I know I know David Fox is going to be there. I, th I think Ron Gilbert. There's going to be, look, there's going to be more Gilbert than you could bloody wrap your something around. So, you know, check. I'll put a link in the description below. Um, 
so you can get some more information on it. But the Adventure Game Fanfare by Adventure Game Hotspot. It's going off in Tacoma, Washington this summer. Everybody in the Hotspot Network is going to be there. You can come meet Anna and I and Trolls and Adventure Game Geek um, and Daniel and 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 One Short Eye. It's gonna be it's gonna be a great time. So you know, buddy, get some get your get your tickets or whatever. Okay, like listen, let's just let's be done here. We're on Twitter at CGG Podcast at Phantom Fellows. Wishlist Phantom Fellows on Steam. That's my bloody that's my that's my baby. I'm almost done. I'm, I'm working on the credits. That's how almost done we are. We're gonna be moving into playtesting while I work on the the soundtrack and musical score at the same time. And so things are going awesome there. If you don't mind wishlisting it, if you've already wishlisted it, vote for it to be put on GOG. If you've already done that, then just, you know, just sit tight. Just feel, feel, feel good. Be like, man, I am, I'm a, I'm a good ass friend. I listen to his bullshit show. I wish this was his bullshit game. <laughs> okay. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, what else do I have to tell you guys? We're, we're a page in a group on Facebook. Join us at the classic gamers guild. Not podcast, just the Classic Gamers Guild, period. You could email us, mail at classicgamersguild.com. You could become a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash the Classic Gamers Guild, or just go to Patreon and search us like most people would. But also, thank you so much to our Patreons. I love you guys, for real. Um, we got some new Patreons, Jess uh, and Nalani. Thank you so much. Um, There's a Patreon-exclusive episode up where Anna talked to Nalani about some more hidden gems. And thank you to everybody in our extra special thanks tier, Tim Ellis, Michael Council, Brian Manown, love you guys. Thank you so much for your support. We really appreciate you guys. And I, th- I think that's it. I think I think the, the greatest gift I can leave you now is to let you to let you go. But but come back. I didn't I, I didn't like the way that felt when I said that. <laughs> it was scary. <laughs> please please come back. We'll be back in uh, you know the usual. We'll be back in in, in a week or two. Uh, well, definitely two. But you know. I hope you have a good good January. This month is kind of a bummer, right? It's like just just still trying to get all that serotonin or dopamine back from from spending it all on Christmas. Feel like feel like SpongeBob when he's left out in the sun for too long. That's that's the representation, visually speaking, of my brain right now. All right, get get out of here, you you scallywags, you you rap scallions, you you you. Why am I doing this? We already we already have an outro thing to say. That's that's why there is a thing that we say at the end because you don't know what else to say. So you're just like, I'm just gonna say that thing that I always say, and and I get to be done. So you know, bloody, don't do a murder. going to run you through a really quick spiel um one if there's anything you want cut or taken out feel free to tell me we're going to be editing it anyway so if you're like you know whoops that sounded racist just let me know and i'll cut it out (laughs) i will will do my best not to put you in that position